0: James. All right, Mr. Binda. Hey, um, Mayor. Uh, good evening. Uh, welcome to everyone here. Uh, walk through the agenda quickly, kind of outline. Uh, under our, the agenda overview tonight, we have a couple pop-ups. Mrs. Reddick is going to stand up and talk to us about PH two through PH five. Um, these are your gem lots that you've known, but different this time is that a grouping of four is coming to one uh, to one builder. So she'll uh, she'll stand up and talk about it. I'LL uh, TALK TO YOU ABOUT THE LEASE EXTENSION OF THE MARINA AND ALSO MENTION THE BID THAT'S ON THE STREET FOR IT NOW. WE HAVE JIM UTTERBACK HERE. THANK YOU FOR COMING FROM VDOT. HE'S THE PROJECT MANAGER FOR uh, HAMPTON Roads BRIDGE TUNNEL. SO uh, NO SMALL TASK. AND SO WE'RE LOOKING FOR AN UPDATE FROM HIM AND IMPACTFUL HOW IT COMES INTO NORFOLK. Um, JAMES MICKLE, HIS SON IS GRADUATING FROM MIDDLE SCHOOL. SO HE WAS A a BUMP FROM THIS LAST TIME. and SO WE GAVE HIM A PASS. WE SAW HE SHOULD BE THERE FOR HIS MIDDLE SCHOOL GRADUATION, SO WE HAD Ed MATTHEWS WITH US, WHO'S A uh, BUREAU MANAGER FOR RECREATION PARKS AND OPEN SPACES, AND WILL DO A GREAT JOB. LAST OF WHICH WE HAVE DR. SUSAN PERRY, WHO WILL GIVE YOU AN UPDATE ON ST. Paul's. WITH THAT, MR. MAYOR, IF YOU DON'T MIND, WE'LL MOVE TO MRS. RIDDICK. GOOD EVENING. I HAVE A VERY SHORT PRESENTATION.
1: Winter PROBABLY JUST DID IT FOR ME, BUT um, WE HAVE FOUR think PROPERTIES. Was, NO,
2: NO PROBLEM.
1: We have four properties that are uh, gem lots that are being sold to one builder, which is Oceanside Building. Um, This is a change from the previous um, administration. Well, previously, we used to only do one lot at a time. So back in uh, August of 2017, we did a presentation said we were going to do multiple lots to um, folks that were interested in purchasing them. Um, The difference is that all four lots have um, one um, ordinance per lot, so your PH two, three, four, and five is one per lot. If you go to the next slide, um, I can't see that. But so those are, those are the addresses we, we're paying the appraised, I mean, we're um, they're paying the appraised value. And again, that's just a summary of what we promised back in August of 2017 that we could um, sell multiple lots to one one vendor or one uh, company. Okay.
2: Oh, have, how, how are developers becoming familiar with this? Uh, they,
1: they contact our real estate office and mm-hmm. inquire. Okay. Um, there are different ways. NRIJ, Sometimes they go through NRIJ, but in this case, they came through our uh, real estate office. Okay.
3: These are posted
1: on our website. Is what, they are on our website. Yes, sir. Okay. Mr.
4: Thomas, you're good. Mr. Riddick, you're good. Yes, I'm good. Okay. Thank you, Ms. Riddick. Thank you. All right, Mr. Binda. So I'm going to move the chair up here
0: so that people can see me. Yes, sir. All right. So I have the marina lease extension, and this is exciting. Um, So uh, Waterside LLC is your current operator. Um, Their lease um, expires this month, and so that's why we're extending it for another six months. Because last week and then today, we put on out to bid uh, the marina itself. Bring us opportunities, uh, ideas about what we should do. And you'll know that our current operator, Waterside LLC, Brooks Smith is going to submit for it as well. So, the, um, so tonight you're sending the lease to give the time by which that this bid goes to market. Once it's advertised, it'll come back on the 27th. That's when all bids are due. So 28th, just after your recess, you'll have the, the experience where you bring forward the bids, and the city clerk will recognize what bids were submitted, and then they'll go back to staff, and staff will do the due diligence associated with where we go next with our marina. So really exciting stuff for the city of Northwood. I THINK I MISSED ONE, MR. MAYOR, AND THAT WAS uh, WE HAD A uh, DENIAL AT PLANNING COMMISSION HAVING TO DO WITH with ADAM'S OUTDOOR ADVERTISING. SO IF WE HAVE ONE MORE SECOND, WE HAVE MR. Newcomb WHO IS PREPARED. LENNY, COME ON AROUND SO THAT WE CAN ALL SEE YOU.
5: This item is not on today's agenda. It is on your uh, 26th agenda. We're doing the pop-up now to give you some information so you can appreciate it before we get to it. It's a conditional use permit for a property located at 5901 East Virginia Beach Boulevard. It's an application to allow the applicant to replace an existing stationary billboard, uh, 378 square feet, with an electronic changeable billboard. The uh, property, as you see it here, sits on the corner of Glen Rock Road and East Virginia Beach Boulevard. You see the little building. It's a former car lot, former gas station. Uh, It's not had an active use in it for several years. Proposal shows the billboard sits on the eastern side of the frontage. The applicant has, and and the reason I'm going to talk about it, in a second, is the applicant has acquired from the owner after the billboard was installed under the current special exception at the time, they acquired an easement for just this space where you see this outline. They're proposing to move the billboard back from the street, raise it up, and change it to an electronic message panel. When it was submitted to us, we recommended and requested from them that they do things such as close driveways, clean up the property, put some landscaping on it. They informed us that their easement, which only covers where the board is, does not cover the rest of the site, so therefore they could not be held responsible for doing any improvements to the site except those that existed under their actual easement. Um, What that led to was uh, essentially a negative recommendation from the staff AND A NEGATIVE RECOMMENDATION FROM THE PLANNING COMMISSION. AS NOTED, THE EASEMENT THAT THEY ACQUIRED WAS DONE IN NOVEMBER OF 2017, SO IT WASN'T THAT LONG AGO. Um, BACKGROUND IS, AGAIN, WITH ALL REQUEST, WE TRY TO IMPROVE THE the LANDSCAPE. WE TRY TO IMPROVE THE STREETSCAPE, THE APPEARANCE FROM THE PROPERTY AS A WHOLE. HERE THERE WAS NO, uh, ACCORDING TO THE APPLICANT, NO OPPORTUNITY FOR THEM TO DO SO. the owner was not involved in this application at all uh, because of their easement. They had the right to apply for the land that was just where the board is now. So the recommendation from staff, as I indicated, was 7-0, or actually, we, we were total. Planning commission was 7-0. Uh, the site's not very attractive. It's not in good condition. It doesn't show any real maintenance, and we do not feel that it's very responsible TO ENHANCE THE USE OF IT WITHOUT GETTING SOME IMPROVEMENTS. AND THAT WILL BE COMING UP ON YOUR 26th AGENDA. THANK YOU. Okay.
6: Thank is, you IS IT proper TO ASK QUESTIONS NOW OR WAIT yeah. UNTIL...
4: PLEASE GO AHEAD, MR. McClellan. SO
6: I, JUST TO CLARIFY, SO YOU SAID THAT THIS WAS... EASEMENT WAS uh, PURCHASE SECURED IN WHEN? NOVEMBER OF 2017. AND COULD THEY HAVE SECURED A... A LEASE, WHICH WOULD HAVE ALLOWED THEM TO HAVE CONTROL OF THOSE OTHER PARTS they, OF THE property. THEY WERE ORIGINALLY
5: GRANTED A SPECIAL EXCEPTION SEVERAL YEARS AGO TO PUT THAT BOARD UP. Um, KEEP GOING BACK RIGHT HERE. THEY WERE ALLOWED TO PUT THEM ON A pole, AND I THINK THIS DATES BACK TO THE 90s OR SOMETHING LIKE THAT. SO THEY HAD A SPECIAL EXCEPTION, SAME THING WE'RE USING TODAY AS CONDITIONAL USE permit. Right. THEY CHOSE IN November of 2017 to change their relationship with their landlord. The original special exception was for the entire property. Uh, Right now, they have applied in such a way that they say, we're just dealing with our small piece of land and we're not looking at the site.
6: So if they had the special, if they never changed to this special easement and maintained the previous relationship, what
5: would happen? Then their application would have required the owner of the property to sign off on it, and he would have been involved in negotiating some of the improvements. If you notice, this is an intersection, a rather busy one. Costco is located down the road. We have a driveway here and one right in the throat of this turn. Those are things that we traditionally like to close because it makes the property much safer. Right now you could be making this turn and somebody could pull out onto you without real noticing. Um, that's traditional for old corner gas stations,
6: which is what What's the, I
5: mean, do we
6: have
0: any kind of cost for closing? Uh, I do not. Anything else? Good. So, no action tonight. You'll see this in two weeks on the 26th of June. 26th. Yes, ma'am. yes, ma'am. Okay, may we moving? Yes, sir. All right. SO uh, JIM UTTERBUCKS HERE from, uh, FROM PDOT, GREAT FRIEND OF OURS FOR THE REGION AS FAR AS TRANSPORTATION. HE'S RECENTLY CHANGED HATS AND FORGOTTEN A TIE, BUT HE'S HERE TONIGHT TO GIVE US uh, uh, A <laughs> and, uh, AND I CAN TEASE, I can tease JIM BECAUSE we, WE DO IMPACTFUL STUFF ON THE FLY um, WHEN WE WERE DOING THE INTERSECTION AT uh, um, RIGHT THERE OFF of NORTHAMPTON, I THINK we, WE CREATED A GOOD RELATIONSHIP. NOW HE'S IN NORFOLK EVERY DAY uh working on this big big project and we heard this presentation i think it was at tpo and we thought impactful uh for the, you and the city council so i hope you enjoy this presentation uh, Mr. Mayor,
7: thanks for giving me a couple minutes and i'll go through a, uh this slide real quick so uh, i don't know if anybody uh was around or remembers this this is actually <laughs> so. <laughs> so so some will remember the, the ferry. As a matter of fact, there's a, there is a, a ferry. The two ferries are up here on the, the chart going back and forth. There actually is a naval ship just off the picture. But this is actually 1956, 57. 1957 is when the first um, uh, tunnel was constructed in, in Hampton Roads. And I think it's just the reason I bring that up is that um, this was the first tunnel in the world constructed between man-made islands. So it had never been done before. So it was the first uh, construction project of its size to, to, to build that. Also, when it was complete, it was the longest tunnel in the world. So it was the, the longest tunnel in the world. The other... Um, Really good fact about this, this construction project, for this era, it was completed without a fatality. So if you think back to Golden Gate Bridge and some of these other big, large infrastructure projects, there was a lot of fatalities. This was actually completed without a fatality. So um, a, a large large project, I think the thing about this is, um, and, and actually you can go, if you go anywhere in the world, and say you're from Hampton Roads and you're talking to a tunneling person, they're going to know about HRBT1. So you say, they'll say HRBT1. So that's the significance. Hopefully you're not talking about tunnels if you're going somewhere in the world besides (laughs) here. But anyway, in fact, the transition is um, the Hampton Roads area has more immersed tube tunnels than any urban area in the world. So there are ten tunnels here right now. Um, This city, the city of Norfolk, obviously has more tunnels connecting to it, immersive tunnels in any city that we know of in the world. Because there are, as the two tunnels at HRBT, the two tunnels now at Midtown and two tunnels down at at Downtown. So you've got six tunnels coming into Norfolk, probably one of the benefits of having the world's largest naval base. So kind of a byproduct of that. So um, tunneling in Hampton Roads didn't start with... um, did not start with HRVT. It was actually at the Downtown Tunnel, so 1952. So the significance of this is there's a cluster of tunnels, uh, five tunnels built in about nine years in Hampton Roads. So these, um, um, and then there was a, then there was a pretty big gap. You can see we had a couple coming in, and then the the latest, and everyone's familiar with the Midtown Tunnel in uh, 20 2016. So. That, and then the Thimble Shoals is under construction, and then the HRBT. So there's a pen- potential to have about uh, another four tunnels here in the next uh, five, six years. So another burst. Uh, the nine tunnels um, are steel shell immersed tubes, and one of the tunnels is the concrete box. So that's the one at the New Midtown, the first concrete. There was only two other concrete tunnels uh, in the U.S. prior to this. So that was kind of state-of-the-art at the time. Um, I'll talk more about the, um, the Thimble Shoals Tunnel, which is a bore. The interesting thing, there is um, um, the Monitor Merrimack is a binocular. So there's one trench that is actually two tubes that are welded together, essentially. So that, that's one trench that that, that uh, tunnel is, is connected from that standpoint. So that's unique to, the, to all the other ones. Um, to the project itself, so the um, scope of the work for the HRBT um, starts at Settlers Landing in Hampton. Typically, the demarcation is really, or the, the project starts where the lanes drop. They go from three lanes to two lanes. So, the scope of the project is really to carry um, six lanes through the entire um, corridor. Um, when we get onto the water, the um, um <clears throat> what we're trying to do is a four-lane bridge and tunnel because. With the complexity and the difficulty in crossing the federal channel in the water, um, it's never a better time to build the four lanes into three. And te- technically the tunnel is not that much larger due to the fire and ventilation systems in the tunnel. So this is the right time to do that and build the bridges um, from that standpoint. So that's kind of the, basically the two existing tubes that are out there right now would both carry traffic uh, westbound. So the current eastbound would go westbound and then the um, new facility would carry uh, four lanes eastbound so that's a, that's how it would um, uh, envision to work conceptually so and this is really I'll go through a couple of these a little bit small, but it just shows the alignment um, obviously there was um, we made a commitment and we go in very tightly around Hampton University probably the most significant thing here is the brown areas are um, um, kind of cultural resource properties we cannot touch. We, we do not um, impact those facilities. So we stay largely in the existing corridor through the entire project. So this is the Hampton side where we're staying um, in the right-of-way, and we start down. And what we showed is a concept of another immersed tube tunnel going inside on the um, um, to the existing facility and the island expansion from that side. It carries over to the South Island um and then into Norfolk, and you can see we tuck very closely into the existing right-of-way and try to carry that footprint through the rest of the corridor. So that's um, um, of significance here. I do want to uh, point out this um, uh, parcel here is, is something we're looking at as well as a potential um, um, acquisition as a staging area for the for the project. So I'll come back to that in a minute, but just so you but can would see. Would you it. acquire that property just create be- it? a rental, we would plan to acquire it. <clears throat> What's the
6: bright green? I'm sorry,
7: the bright green That's the, uh, Sunset Grill. Yeah. <laughs> it's the exit numbers so that's 272. Yeah, that's <laughs> I don't know why they came out bright green. That's um, uh, is, anyway, that, that's what that is. So, sorry to be distracting. So, um, <laughs> any questions on that at all? So I don't okay. suppose there's
6: any opportunity to do anything related to
7: resilience and flood control in this project. We are looking at that. It's a big um, item we're looking at right now o- over water with the bridges. Um, with the interstate, we're going to match pretty much to the existing interstate profile, which is fairly high. So that, that would be... Um, w- but the bridges, the height of the bridges, we're looking at right now. So that's uh, trying to accommodate... Uh, resiliency, some of the flood conditions. The current bridges are very low <clears throat> as compared to the other bridge tunnels in the area. Monitor Merrimack's high, Bay Bridge Tunnels high. So these, the original ones, and the, once you built the first one, the second one kind of matched the grade. The constraint are the islands. So we can't afford to raise the islands. Um, so we're going to try to look at bridges and resilience. So, yes, ma'am, we are looking at that. So, so and this is
8: totally for motor
7: vehicles? Yes. No,
8: no. Considerations yeah. for light rail, no, no. Mm-hmm.
9: bike lanes. bike lanes We're some. Uh, can you go back to the acquisition piece? How much of that are you trying to
7: acquire? I was. I, I, I want to say it's close to 15 acres. Is it all of that no, area? No, it's, it's, it's generally, and I don't have that with me. It's generally this footprint here. There's um, this area where the test piles are right now. Right. Morsel. Okay.
9: The old site. Right, but is that a issue in the community? They've just recently become aware of it. Okay. Going to discuss it. The city, I think, spent quite a bit of money running um, water down Little Bay for a potential of a, a big project there. Um, the old spectrum site. Yeah, the spectrum site because it needed to have that in order <coughs> to get water down there. Um, for a Building, I, I don't know if you're aware of what was originally planned for that site. There was uh, okay. 300 units, yeah. I think, or something that were going to go on that site. That's why the test pile is right floating there.
7: The uh, the idea obviously was just to purchase it for construction, so it'll go back to the region city. We'll work with that, whatever, and I think this, you know, the plan is to work with the city on the use of the property. So. So I think the biggest thing is just um, staging areas of premium in this area, so, so we were reaching out to try to uh, secure some of that for the contractor, which would help drive the prices down a bit. So. Okay, so I just want to touch on one thing. This is kind of the typical section for the um, for the bridge. So it is, um, it is the two general purpose lanes on the right. Um, there is the one hot lane. Since we are ru- running a a um, shoulder, we've widened the shoulder a little bit, and we're currently analyzing whether we can run a managed shoulder, peak-managed uh, shoulder lane um, along the corridor from there. So we're looking at that right now and, and analyzing that and working that with Federal Highway. So there is, so the little gray car is where there's potential for a part-time shoulder to run through the corridor to help during uh, peak, peak travel. We nicknamed that 2 plus 1 plus 1. So two general purpose lanes, one full-time hot lane, and one peak hour. So, um, land side and I'm just going to talk on this construction. This is what we, we talked about with the TPO a little bit. The landside uh, work is really broken into two parts, Hampton and Norfolk. Um, and we've got an environmental right-of-way maintenance traffic provide you know big challenges in both cities. So we, we recognize that, and we're... We're trying to work through those, uh, particularly the right-of-way uh, and the maintenance of traffic as we go through that, and, and the in- environmental, uh, obviously. So three big items on, on land. Um, the I-64 interchange at Mallory Street will be reconstructed in Hampton. Uh, construction of the approach bridges will require phasing. Because we are so tight in that area and right-of-way, we will have some phased construction, uh, which will be a, a challenge from that standpoint. And the cultural resources are the Federal Cemetery, Hampton University, and Phoebus. Uh, Norfolk, obviously, the constraints at Bayville Interchange, Willoughby Bay Bridges. We've got four interchanges in Norfolk that we're going across, and we've got the uh, Naval Air Station bordering the Western part. So um, the point there, there's really nothing easy about this project. I think there's really um, the, um, again, but the, the land work, landside, we call it land side, and the marine bridges Largely um, have conventional risks, so these are projects we've dealt with. We've got five construction projects on the interstate right now, uh, similar type widening. So we're we're um, really used to those and can deal with those. The tunnel work is really less conventional, and this is where we really generate the greatest amount of risk and and co- from cost and schedule. So um, this particular area, you know, right now is. Is is unique in that both an immersed tube and a bore tunnel are both considered feasible. Uh, the technology with the TBMs has come that it can really um, boring in soft soils is always considered a high <coughs> risk, but the technology is there to make this very competitive um, at this point. And these the Thimble Shoals uh, Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel procurement in 2015 ran basically immersed tube and bored uh, both both construction methods simultaneously, and they ended up with board uh, tunnel bids. So they're um, they're out in, in front of us a little bit with this technology on that. So um, I, I just talked just for a couple minutes. Immersed tubes, everybody should be familiar with this, from Midtown Tunnel. This is actually the uh, fabrication of the elements. Um, here, they're about 300. This is for the two-lane tunnel at Midtown. They're about 300-foot long. For, the, um, for this particular project with four lanes, you would see uh, um, the element would probably be closer to 600 feet long, so twi- twice as long and nearly twice as wide as what you see there. Um, the operation really is a major uh, dredging operation, placing the screening material, the yellow bedding, ex- essentially, that the, the elements will be floated down and then uh, submerged or lowered onto the bedding material and then locked in place and filled in. So. That's kind of the the um, technique there. There's a lot of work in the federal channel with this, so that's um, that is something we're working through with uh, stakeholders. Uh, this is a cross section. You can see it's a steel, concrete uh, reinforced steel structure, so um, and quite quite thick, and the walls went from three to five feet on on sections of that. This is a tunnel boring machine. I just show that, and again, I don't want to gloss you over, but this is really the machine that actually uh, bores and re- removes the material and takes it back through a conveyor system through the back of the, the sludge, the back of the machine it has got these hydraulic rams and basically build the rings as you uh, bore underneath the uh, bed there. Um, just as a point of reference, the whole uh, train, if you will, of the boring machine is almost 500 feet long, so it's quite, a, uh, quite an operation from that standpoint. This is actually a twin bore. This was in uh, Port of Miami. So you can see how close those two tunnels are together. They actually bored down and turned the machine and bored right back, right beside it. So that was, um, this was, um, and Port of Miami is probably fairly close to what we have. Actually, the soil is a little bit more risky with the coil and the soft sand. So that's a conceptual picture there. Um, you can see the, um, the round the round tube with the thinner walls. It also the bottom third of the tunnel is really ballast, so the concrete is helping. The, these these elements want to float, believe it or not. So are not elements, but when you bore down, they want to float. So that this goes deeper typically and has a lot more ballast to keep it down on on the bottom, or underneath the bottom. So just a couple key differences. The uh, alignment um, is. Um, the immersed tubes need to be farther apart, um, typically because of the trenching. You saw the bore tunnels can be closer. The geotechnical, um, it is a um, board is really the, 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 the risk is tailored to the properties there. So there is some risk with a boring machine and a soft material that you won't have with an ITT because typically you dredge the material out. Here you've got to go through it and you've got to have a Uh, design the machine accordingly to get through that and do some ground improvement. Uh, I just want to bring this out. The Section 408 is a coordination with the marine stakeholders on the federal channel, which is probably the biggest risk to the um, immersed tube tunnel. But that channel carries over 8,000 vessels a year between the Navy, the port, and recreational vehicles. So time and channel will be a challenge. The 103 is an offshore disposal permit for the material out of that. For the disposal of the board tunnel, that is a JPA permit op- application, probably one of the bigger risks is because that cannot go offshore. That material is treated and will have to be disposed of. Uh, just real quick, this is being procured under the PPTA as opposed to the Virginia Procurement Act, and the significance of that is it's not a PPTA from a concession agreement, but Virginia has the ability to develop, do a, a design build under the PPTA legislation. What it gives us the flexibility in dealing with the significant risks that are on this project, also gives us the um, opportunity to um, discuss uh, alternative technical concepts and get feedback and collaboration as we work through the process. So um, the standard design build template is not built for a project of this size. So the, ho- the biggest Design building in Virginia right now is the high rise bridge is 400 million. So, this will be probably almost 10 times the size of that. So, um, a much larger project.
2: This is not the same as the Midtown Tunnel.
7: This this is not, no, no, no way like that. That is what we call a concession agreement. So, there's no concessionaire. This is VDOT administering a, design, a large design build. Yes, sir. So just a little bit of background on what, how we, we started in December 17 with the RFQ, and um, we've gone through a shortlist process, and I can just show you really quick. Um, we we had three teams put in, so we shortlisted three teams, and you ask why. Well, it's probably the um, what we're looking for is construction of large diameter roadway tunnels, um, obviously bridge and uh, design and construction in a marine environment. So this is a marine works project for the, for the most part, um, obviously widening in an in a urban environment. So it takes a large team uh, to, to meet these kind of qualitative um, uh, criteria. So, um, and I just want to share this. These were the three teams. We had one of the teams decided not to pursue uh, the contract. So that was the joint venture of Skanska-Kiewit. Uh, who, who did uh, construct the Midtown Tunnel. Um, the Hampton Roads Capacity Constructors is one of the teams. Both of these, I've got ITT and BT, Bio means they qualified for both uh, both methods. So they can do an immersed tube tunnel or bore tunnel. Uh, so both of those firms can do that. Uh, Floor leads the, the first team with Lane Construction Trailer Brothers and Dragage, which is a, a BUEG subsidiary. Um, the second team is Dragados with Vinci and Dode and Companion. So that's the, um, the two teams, and they can um, they will have to declare which method, and they can submit only one proposal for either a ITT or a board tunnel. So they can't submit both, and they're working through that right now, and we're working with them. So, um, is there a goal for
2: minority participation?
7: There will be. We're, we're developing that right now. So the DBE and SWAM is being developed. Um, part of it depends on the construction technique, so of the tunnel, and depending on that, we'll, we'll establish the gold or arch percentages there. And for those,
2: do you ever go outside of the region to find participants?
7: Um, we, t- typically to to the, we typically leave that up to we typically leave that up to the contractor okay. to try to do that. So, okay, thank you. Yes, sir. This is the um, s- schedule, so. Um, the draft RFP went out in May. Uh, we've got, we're have got we in the ATC process, so we're into procurement, and we're heading toward uh, final proposals in the fall and trying to award this in um, early, late December, January time frame. So what I say, selection of best value in January and then uh, execution of the agreement in early 2019. Um, We do have, because it's done under the PPTA, we do have an audit and a couple other statutory requirements. I do want to take a minute just to um, um, make you aware. Again, I'm I'm here to communicate and help. So I mentioned the Willoughby parcel. I mentioned the uh, managed lane. And and there's also the interchange at 564 that we're looking at to try to tie in. So those were three items that are not in the um, Seis. So we are doing. Federal Highway just signed an EA for us to go and do a reevaluation, looking at that parcel, um, looking at the five sixty four, the environmental impacts on the five sixty four, and also looking at the managed lane concept. So those are all things that need to be looked at in a reevaluation of the NEPA. Um, and I mention that because we're now at the stage where we're um, we just sent out a notice to have citizen information meetings. So they'll be next week. So I think the nineteenth at Ocean View Elementary here in Norfolk, and then there will be one in uh, Hampton on the twentieth, and that's at um, let me, it's uh, a name St. Mary's, St. Mary Star in Hampton. So those both of those meetings are from five to seven. So I wanted to make uh, obviously Mayor and City Council aware of that. Um, that is not a design hearing. So we will have a design public hearing in August, probably middle of August. And we'll get that word to you, uh, Winter, and, and so we'll communicate on that. Again, that'll be a design hearing for the project um, from that standpoint. So two activities that you may hear from your constituents and one from public involvement. One is for the NEPA, the other is for the um, uh, design public hearing. So I started with a picture. This is a, an actual picture here. That's not a Photoshop, so they wanted to make sure they got the end right in 1957. So that's um, that's all I had. Is there any questions?
9: and Andrea were thinking the same thing when you were talking about the intersections. Fourth View intersection has major congestion um, that backs up all through Ocean View. And as part of this, I know it's not HRBT, but this is the opportunity that if there's going to be anything done with that intersection, whether there's a longer on-ramp so that more cars are off of the roads that lead into it, um, but I think the three of us would appreciate um, some kind of look at this, if it's possible, uh, because if you're going to be extending this to six lanes, they, there's also an assumption that there's going to be an increased amount of traffic um, with the with the increase in lanes, and that really congests um, all of that section of Ocean View to the point that people who live in Willoughby cannot it's a quality of life issue uh, down in willoughby spit and so we, we're going to be making some improvements to um, the flyover that's very close to that but that's the extent to our project with um, vdot and fixing that but really if there's anything that can be done i don't know if you guys want to add anything but that is what we hear in every public hearing every meeting with the civic leagues over there um, with the military traffic and now going the six lanes here there's just a BIGGER NEED FOR THAT uh, an IMPROVEMENT IN THAT SECTION. IT'S NOT JUST
3: QUALITY OF LIFE, IT'S SAFETY, TOO. I mean, THERE'S A MILE-LONG BACKUP. So the AMBULANCES AND the FIRE TRUCKS CANNOT GET THROUGH THAT AREA. AND okay. SO, I MEAN, THIS IS SOMETHING WE'VE REQUESTED VDOT STUDY. Uh, WE'VE BEEN TOLD NO, BUT IF YOU'RE AMENDING THE NEPA NOW TO LOOK AT 564, THEN IT SEEMS TO ME THERE SHOULD BE NO REASON YOU CAN'T AMEND IT ALSO
0: TO RE-LOOK AT Fourth VIEW AND yes. A NEW DESIGN THERE. SO that, I THINK THAT'S ABSOLUTELY NECESSARY
6: FOR, for REQUEST FOR THE CITY AT THIS POINT. All right. I guess my question is, um, the, the comment was, if it goes to six lanes, there's going to be more traffic. I, I, I'm I, not a traffic engineer. I'm thinking if there's six lanes, that means there's going to be more traffic flow, so there might be less traffic. I, can you help explain that to me?
7: That, that's exactly what we're, This is congestion relief, so um, the capacity. And, you, and you, you may know, there's a background on this. In uh, 2000, t- 2010, there was a study that called for... Um, eight lanes all the way through, and the damage that it does um, to the culture made made a non-starter. So I think with the commitment to limit these ex- these improvements to the existing right-of-way as best we can is how we get through that. So um, the six lanes, and if we can have a managed shoulder during the peak, and, and you, you all know this is very peak-oriented, um, uh, traffic will help. Will help move traffic.
6: But we, I mean, I, I'm going to reiterate what my colleague said. The Fourth View exit absolutely needs improvement. It needs yeah. to be. I mean, if you're not going to give us a third crossing, can you at least work on Fourth View?
9: Yeah. Let, let, let me. Yeah. Let me look at that. There's plenty of right of way there too. Um, probably enough that you could almost put two lanes going on, on the entrance ramp to it, which gets more cars off of uh, Fourth View and Ocean View Avenue. And what's
6: the uh, what is it? Fifteenth. As well, that sort of I mean, the end like- of Willoughby. That's a, that's another huge pro- problem that we get. I mean, that that whole area. But I've got we've got a constituent who literally can't get out of her driveway. I regularly get <coughs> emails because people try and go down to 15th view and they turn back around. And, and have to come it's back. just right. it's less than ideal, and that's an understatement.
7: Now I understand from my. Recent previous job, so, so that's that's a, a major. It's a major challenge. I know we did um, when we widened on um, 64 in the Peninsula. We made some improvements to the Fort Eustis interchange. Smaller until we could go back, as, you know. Later, there's a project there, but w- w- let me look at that a little so, bit. So Jim, is it
4: something that we can do to um, to help get that study? That have been been into your study because I I agree. I've attended the same civic leagues, and we hear constantly about the traffic on on Ocean View. Uh, people who are who are getting off, um, you know, of, of 64, um, H R B T, and taking in you know, Ocean View all the way down, and thinking that they can, you know, get back on uh, at THE ramp. But um, when you do your congestion management. Uh, are you running any type of calculations? Yeah, let me get with uh, winter peak time and, and what it looks like. Because how do we uh, deter people from getting off and getting on Ocean View and thinking they can get back on yeah. further down? So we, we've heard that same, same problem. Yeah. Okay. We yes, can, sir. Something yes, we can sir. do to help. Let me get with Winter okay. and the staff. We'll staff. We'll yeah, Terry.
8: So I may be not part of missed this in the discussion, but you talked about we couldn't do four lanes on each side because of the damage. So, what is the anticipated damage with the three lanes? Or um, is there?
7: We're, we're missing those. That that was part no. of the. Well, what I mean is, they're using they're
9: existing right of way. They're yeah. using, yeah. There, yeah. Yeah. No. using sure. existing right of way. Right, so yeah.
8: that's what I'm saying. What about the bridges and things that you're talking about? Th- those being problems. Is that going to be an issue that um, you're going to need to appropriate more
7: land? No, we, we would plan to widen now. And I don't have the full. Most of the widening is going to be to the inside. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. Everything should be whole. Yes. No changes in that. So Jim, originally
4: um, there was conversation about taking or acquiring some of uh, some of Willoughby, and I think that's the four lanes, six lanes, um, what four on each side, eight lanes. Uh, We since recognized that that was going to be very problematic, have a negative impact. Uh, on Willoughby, and so
7: it has been narrow. No, I, I appreciate in. that. Um, I just
8: wanted to know if there was anything else we
7: didn't know about. No. You? No. Okay. And obviously there will be retaining wall structure <coughs> and construction will be, right. be. And sound, sound, sound areas. Uh, there will be a sound uh, study as we go forward. Gotcha. So we've identified some areas the designer has to go back, or, or design builder, or go back and do an in-depth uh, sound study um, analysis. Great. Yes. Right.
6: Good. Yeah. Did you i I'm sorry, I didn't see a time frame for when this is project. Uh, you got the procurement side of it. Did YOU yeah. get to the right. when this Conclusion. is actually gonna Open. start construction and, and when the, the END is? Yeah.
7: DONE? <laughs> end, I the missed ended. that piece let Let's level. go back to that one, huh? 30? He didn't show one. Is it so twenty twenty eight. it actually is uh, what we are What's um, so the next slide, so. <laughs> 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 The next slide is me talking, so mm-hmm. The actual schedule that we have, have lined out to work toward is December 2024, um, is completion construction completion of the project. So it's a little over five years. It's, it's, it's a tremendous project. So. So, and just
6: to confirm as well, we're going to have the fourth view, uh, the change at the flyover, whatever we call an accurate intersection, will be complete before this starts. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. Okay.
6: Because you can't have both going on at right. the same time right if you want you can have my cell phone and my email if you want to see
7: what happens then all right so we would award a contract right and and, and it will probably take a year to get the uh, permit get the permitting and then so construction would be an early 20 starting so. all
0: right turn. jim thank you very thank much you jim. and i, I gave you a little teasing razzing in the beginning but jim is great uh, i mean he, he gave this p- presentation at TPO, he came here and is uh, you know up front and, and ready to regularly communicate with us because it's gonna it's a big project and it's gonna move quickly. And he's very receptive to the communities, to the neighborhoods, and he'll make himself and others available to make sure that we get as much communication out to as many people as possible because obviously impacted is the region, but particularly in Hampton and in Norfolk. So Jim thank you very very much.
9: And if, Jim if you can model everything that they did with the military highway Northampton Boulevard project. <laughs> With communication um, for this, it would uh, be outstanding. I mean, the communication, everything with that project has been wonderful. Um, even chain, lane, uh, changes in lane movement, I've been impressed that they've been able to do that there. So, if you can model that, you'll be that was him a man. hero. Good news yeah,
7: is yeah, the Jim's offices are right there yeah, off right military. Right there. <laughs> I'm gonna. I've convinced Paul yeah. Miller to come yes. to the project with me. So yeah. uh, <laughs> well. and you know oceanview, so she very well. All well. yeah, so
4: right, a good person there.
0: Thank, thank you, Jim. Right, thank you. Paula. Thank you. Continue. I'm as I, as I speak. Ed Matthews is going to come to the uh, podium here. Um, this is uh, again, Mr. Mickle, His son's graduating, so Mr. Matthews is going to give the presentation. My wife reminds me school ends this week, so uh, impactful is all, all the kids coming to the summer camps. How excited our interns started last week. Uh, Mr. Mayor, you greeted them and others that are here in town. So fun times, good summer ahead of
10: us. Yes, thank you, Mr. Mayor, council members, chief deputy, city manager. We're excited. It's that time of the year. For any of you who watched basketball or hockey and recognizing all the championships that just went on, summer camps, that's our playoffs. So we're excited and we're ready to go. So talking about our, our most popular programs, and you can see the, the line at the bottom left, one thousand four hundred and. 40 youth participated in our summer camp programs last year. Um, Right now we have 30 slots available, um, but our most popular programs are our grade school programs, our Camp Wake Up, Get Out and Play, um, Camp Willoughby programs. With those, we only have 30 slots left. So we're getting ready to start uh, June 25th, and we'll go through August 24th. So we're really excited about those programs And we do all types of things that you remember as a childhood. You know, the field trips, those are amazing times to create opportunities with your friends. So we'll go to Cinema Cafe, Slover Library, um, roller skating, ice skating, a lot of different opportunities um, for us to go over the summer. And last, our Norview Navigators program, and that's our team program for 13 to 16 year olds. Within that, you have a long list there. Oh no problem. You have a long list of the different things that we do. Um, we like to think in recreation we have three pillars so it's conservation social equity and health and wellness and when you look at those bullets and those activities that we'll do over the summer these are opportunities that we're going to give to our teens to help start building their character for the future Um, our visual arts and performing arts lots of times you hear our youth don't feel they have voices well this is an opportunity for them to express themselves, to communicate their message however so they see fit. So throughout the summer, we have a array of programs and opportunities offered throughout um, many different locations and classes. A big thing right now, as you all know, the teens with technology. So we're incorporating a lot of the digital photography, Photoshop, I'm sure lots of them. We think we're going to teach the teens, they're going to teach us. They're going to teach us. They know about the filters and everything else going on. So. We're just excited and looking for the new opportunities that we're gonna have along with it. Our computer resource centers, new this year and it's not on the slide, we're really working on enhancing our partnerships. So we're working with the 21st Century Summer Program to enhance their program and we'll be doing their enrichment programs. And we'll talk about robotics, computer skills, coding, and that will just be a start of our relationship for the future and after-school programs. Next slide, just talk about partnerships. We offer a lot, our staff work hard, but we cannot do it without the community and other partners. So here's just a list of some of the people that we partner with throughout the summer. It's, it's a small list and that's not even talking about the endless amount of volunteer hours that we get throughout the summer. So, so we do a lot and, and we're thankful for all the assistance that we get, yes.
6: Um, we have folks in the community who wanted to volunteer to, for example, help with technology or gardening or anything, you know, so all the many things. How would, how would individual citizens, is there an opportunity for citizens to, to sign up and give back and provide community service hours?
10: We will always take a volunteer. <laughs> so if you go to our website, we do have a pay, uh, a item on the left side where it says volunteers where okay. there you can get the application. Um, We do a background check just to ensure the safety Mm -hmm. of our children, and we take opportunities for volunteers. And it's not just coaches. As you talk about teaching classes, music, um, mentors, we do a lot of homework help throughout the school year. So whenever there's an opportunity or somebody that feels touched to give back, um, we're more than willing to take on a volunteer. So if I want to
3: volunteer, Come on. Uh, do I need to? So I, well, I, always, I visit the site, so, but I just jump in. So you prefer that I go yeah, to, to the site and you do a background check on me and all that kind of stuff.
10: Yeah, we, we prefer to do the application. That way we have a full understanding of your skills and talents because lots of times, you know, what, what we might – Bring fill out the application already. So, but, but a lot of times we want to see the skills and the talents that you bring in order to align it properly with what we have to offer. Next is our park ranger program. If you look in the middle picture on the right, is our first uh, park ranger supervisor. His name is Frank. So, if you see him over the summer, see him in the parks, wave, say hi, Frank, harass him. He'll be more than willing to help you out. I'm doing great things. Our park ranger programs, we do a lot of outdoor interpretive programs, a lot of STEM programs, fishing. We are out and about. And in addition to patrolling the parks, ensuring the safety, our permits and our shelters, which are big. We get hundreds of shelter reservations throughout the summer. When you talk about birthday parties, baby showers, all of those things are done throughout the summer in our parks. So it's very exciting. Park rangers, the two, we're in the process of uh, acquiring another one. Nighthawks, Nighthawk program, state award winning Nighthawk program. So I, I do wanna share that. Um, as you all know, we recently received the award for the program, Best New Program in the State of Virginia. So it's amazing what we do, um, and it's just a, a small little glimpse and a recognition for what the City of Norfolk offers to the residents. Um, on June 29th, we start. Um, we start with the kickoff. As you can see, what started as a two location Uh, Program has now expanded to multiple locations, so we are rocking and rolling with our summer. As you can see here, this is just a highlight of some of the things that we're doing, and we're taking it beyond just an opportunity for residents to come out and do something. So, if you're 18 and plus, 18 and older, and you'd like to come out, you know, we we target 18 to 24, but if you're young at heart, we're going to take you. So please come out um, and do more than just play basketball, which a lot of people might think. You can see we have coding classes, food handler certification, which is very important as we talk about career development, working with the Norfolk Police Department for the 5 and Phase, which is a haircut program, you know, preparing people for the interviews and the mentorships that come along with working with the community and the police department. And, and the last thing I just want to share, we recently went through our accreditation. And through that process, we are measured nationally about the programs and opportunities that we um, provide to the citizens in the city of Norfolk. We pass that with flying colors. Um, you know, all of the visitors that came to check us out—they're amazed at what we have to offer, um, our affordability and our diversity of what we have to offer to to the citizens. So, you know, it's just a kudos in recognition of what we've done. So, do we have any additional questions? So, uh, tell me
4: about the
8: affordability. What what is the price? Of case? Oh. So, so far, like the
10: camps. Our Get Out and Play program is $85 for the summer. Our um, Camp Wake Up is f- three payments of $148, and then our team program is $50. Is there
8: transportation
10: available? Transportation in terms of getting to the program? Mm-hmm. Um, we're our, the unique thing about our community, we have recreation centers <laughs> located in a walkable community. so. You know, all of our sites, your, the residents and the students are able to walk through the same thing like they do for school. So, you know, we're fortunate where we're not siloed, you know, miles and miles away where everybody can get to one of our sites where we offer a program, because we do it at 18, all of our recreation sites.
8: I, you know, I just think this is so impressive, what we do. And mm-hmm. I, I'm disappointed that I think so many of our citizens don't know more about it. I, I know when Paper did one of those handouts about camps, I mean, it was just Norfolk after Norfolk after Norfolk city. THAT DID THIS, AND IT REALLY IS JUST TERRIFIC, AND uh, I, I WISH EVERY ONE OF OUR KIDS uh, WOULD HAVE AN OPPORTUNITY TO DO THESE CAMPS. Um, you, YOU'RE DOING A GREAT JOB. YOU'RE A FABULOUS um, AMBASSADOR FOR THIS. Thank WE you. APPRECIATE THAT YOU FINALLY GOT IN HERE. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> Andrew.
6: Um WELL, FIRST OF ALL, THE HRT FREEDOM PASS ALSO ALLOWS yes. OUR KIDS, IF THEY AREN'T NEARBY, THEY CAN GET a, a FREE PASS IF THEY'RE 17 OR UNDER TO RIDE ON ALL THE HRT'S, WHICH is my kids have it, and I know several others who do. Um, I was just curious about what relationship we have with MPS in this. I know you, they were probably listed on there. Are we working with North public schools? Yes,
10: yeah, so we work with them for a, a number of different things. So first would be transportation. They provide transportation for all of our field trips. So when we talk about you know the places I mentioned earlier where we go, we work directly with them. Also, our summer food program. So what I did not mention is within these programs, breakfast and lunch is provided. So, within these programs, um, they provide um, the opportunities, they cook the meals, and we work with them to GET THEM PROVIDED to the students. That's
3: awesome. And that's so, an extension to what Norfolk Public Schools already does right. as far as the okay, summer I'd program. Now, we're feeding the the, the children in right. the, the city as long as they're um, a Norfolk Public Schools child. No, any. Up to,
9: yeah. It's any child in the family. So in the, the city. <clears throat> yeah. And eat. If they you have guests
10: in town, they can go in and
6: eat yeah.
10: every, day. Mm-hmm. Every, yeah, every day. Every day. Every day. Every we'll, day. When we go on field trips, they'll pack up the, the meals and you know make it so we can go take them with us. Okay.
4: Really
10: okay.
0: Terrific. Winter, thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Ed. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Dr. Susan Perry <laughs> with an update about St. Paul's.
11: Good evening, Mayor, members of council. I'm excited to be before you today to give you um, an update on the St. Paul's transformation effort. Um, And first, I'm just going to walk you through the big goals of the St. Paul's um, area, as well as give you an update on the People First program um, that I know you're familiar with, as well as on the physical redevelopment. Um, of the area. And, and for that, really, um, this presentation will focus on the Choice Neighborhoods Initiative uh, grant program offered by HUD that I know um, we've talked with you about, but we, we now have an opportunity to go after that grant, so I'll talk a little bit about that, and then, of course, give you um, a timeline of next steps. Um, so, you, as you know, we really began this conversation about the transformation of St. Paul's um, almost a year ago with a series of community meetings in um, young terrace Tidewater Gardens and Calvert Square. And those uh, meetings culminated in the resolution passed by council in January that really allowed the city and the housing authority to move forward with the ability to um, develop a plan for the area, develop the people first program, and, of course, with the passing of your budget a couple of weeks ago to fund that program. So for us, this is really a transformation of both people in place, and we really see those as parallel efforts. So first I'm just going to talk to you about the Human Service Transformation Plan, People First. Um, just to remind you of the goals of the People First program, really this is about individualized case management for residents that enhance life outcomes around housing stability, housing um, stability, Uh, education and training, employment supports, and then health and wellness and all of those other supportive service programs. Um, We really see this as a holistic approach that empowers residents with the tools that they need to be self-sufficient and financially independent. And so we we believe that um, access to these tools will uh, help break the cycle of intergenerational poverty for, um, for residents. And so uh, we began to continue to work on what we heard in the community meetings with a smaller work group. Um, And that work group includes folks from the city and the housing authority, and so relevant city departments like Human Services, the Community Services Board, our Department of Neighborhood Development, um, the Office of Resilience, uh, Norfolk Works. Um, and then on the NRHA side, we have um, the Chief Housing Officer, TENS, our Client Services Manager, um, and the Housing Programs Manager. We've also recently added the Health Department, and we have four residents, um, two from Tidewater Gardens and one from Calvert Square and uh, one from Ch- Young Terrace that join us on a regular basis. Um, and this group is really important. Their help, they helped us design. Um, uh, a request for information for the People First program, which I'll talk a little bit more about in a minute, but um, we really wrestled for a long time with uh, what that request for information should include. But also, the really, uh, we're really talking a lot about what programs and services can we implement this summer um, that we already have sort of available at our fingertips that we uh, can implement immediately. And so that came up at the St. Paul's Advisory Committee meeting. And this, this group is, is, you know, taking that opportunity um, uh, to do those things. And so we're talking about um, uh, impact days within the public housing community. So um, as you all know, we uh, last year had the Ready to Thrive um, event out at Norfolk Scope. Well, this year we're going to, NRHA is going to take those days, uh, take that event into the community every weekend and um, August to provide on-site immunizations and medical services as well as a host of other services uh, directly into the community. We're talking about doing uh, financial education classes right in the community that include not just uh, the the classroom period but also some group coaching sessions. And then we're also implementing um, an ID program that helps folks pay for needed uh, identifications like birth certificates and Social Security cards um, so that uh, when employment opportunities come up, they are able to get into those opportunities as well as anything they might need um, around housing. And so um, our group really felt like in order to draft a quality request for proposal uh, that would really garner the best qualified respondents, and the outcomes that we really desire from that People First uh, program that first we would issue a request for information. And so this is really ensures that we're asking the right questions, that we know what services are out there that we want to procure with the $3 million that was put in the budget for the People First program. That request for information was, was issued uh, July 1st, and it's due at the end of the month. Um, So this is really a two-step process for us. We start with the the request for information and then we'll follow that up in July for uh, a request for proposals. Um, And that's really just a a really good best practice in terms of procurement. Um, The request for information is asking uh, for assistance in helping us identify what are the best um, innovative solutions. Um, around the areas that we've talked about, economic self-sufficiency, housing stability, and then health and wellness services. We're also get, also asking them to help us understand, based on their experiences of doing this in other places around the country, what the challenges and barriers are um, so that we can avoid them or learn how to address them early on. Um, we're asking them to help us think about uh, what partnerships or coalitions we should really be engaging in um, that will help us achieve the, the successful outcomes that we want for residents. And lastly, we're asking them to help us think through the timeline. So what um, what strategies or what things should we be looking for at um, the launch of a program, pre-launch, launch? What um, outcomes should we be looking at at six months into the program, one year, and three years' time? Um, so we really hope that that the information that we'll receive back through this initial process will really help us uh, design a really good RFP that, again, we'll put out in the fall. Uh, that People First work group that I talked about um, a, a slide ago, we'll take all that information, distill it, we'll have a facilitated conversation about what we like and don't like, and then figure out um, what we want to move forward into the RFP process. With
2: the RFI? Yes. Who are you asking? Maybe I'm
11: So we're putting it out like a regular procurement, um, and we have uh, done some research just on who has provided the services in the past, based on other um, experience. So we put it out to national uh, uh, firms as well as as local organizations. So there are different there are different organizations who provide, you know, these types of services um, around housing, education, wellness. Um, and so we've just we've tried to turn over every leaf to see who might, um, you know, done, have done even a piece of this and just uh, individually sent it out to them, but also it's gone out on our website and been advertised um, through our regular procurement process.
6: Did you have requests for that in advance when the RFI went out? Like, were there companies approaching you in advance of the, when the RFI was issued? Yes. Were the folks interested? You feel like we have enough interest out there, I guess, is my question.
11: I do. And we've gotten in some, uh, we've had some good questions. So you can see that the deadline for questions was June 6. And so we've gotten a few questions asking for, um, uh, some clarifications of a few things. So we know that we have some interest out there. Um, we were at a meeting this morning for um human service uh, uh, grants meeting, and so a lot of folks, uh, local folks, were, talk- were there and talking about, you know, we've see- received the request for information. We're having some really good conversation about it in our organizations. So we expect to get some good feedback. The other thing I might mention um, is that we um, we do have consultants to the city that are assisting us with this process, and they're also doing telephone calls to those folks that we've identified that do this work to really help them understand the opportunity, uh, really explain what we're trying to accomplish here in St. Paul. So that's also helping folks un- be uh, aware of the, of the opportunity. So the next uh, uh, section, again, I know we've briefed, um, Uh, this council, as well as the uh, St. Paul's advisory committee of a recent opportunity offered by HUD uh, called the Choice Neighborhood Initiative uh, Grants. And so the city received a choice uh, CNI, if you will, uh, planning grant back in 2012. Um, This is another round uh, of those grants, except now it's for implementation projects. And so this is the ability for us to compete for $30 million towards the redevelopment of St. Paul's. And Um, The application is due um, September 17th, so uh, not a a lot of time. um, So a lot of things are going to be happening over the next couple of months that we just wanted to make sure um, you're aware of. Um, We really feel like uh, this is an exciting opportunity for us because the CNI really aligns closely with the overall strategy that we've talked with with you and the community about um, uh, at length uh, around – Uh, St. Paul's and so it really focuses on a holistic revitalization model. It has three core issues um, Housing people and neighborhoods and so around housing uh, The idea of the choice neighborhoods grant is that is it's about replacing distressed public housing uh, with mixed income mixed-use neighborhood uh, housing people it really focuses on educational opportunities employment outcomes uh, intergenerational mobility for youth um, so really all of those things that we've talked about around our People First program are, are also values of this program. And then neighborhoods, it really looks to see how we can create the conditions necessary for public and private investment um, into a community. Uh, things like uh, commercial activities, safety, good schools, uh, so all of the things that um, uh, folks look for. Uh, in their community and and really all the things that we heard from residents at our community meetings. So we really feel like this grant provides us a great opportunity to realize that vision um, that we heard from residents in the neighborhood. The project area is outlined here and so the outline you'll see here in red is the same project area that was included in the um, CNI planning grant that the city and the housing authority received back in um, 2012. We have extended our... our, um, Uh, boundaries here just to go down to the Elizabeth River to incorporate all of the good work that was uh, around Dutch Dialogues and our resilience work um, so we really are getting that connection down to the water. Um, The CNI grant will only focus on Tidewater Gardens. So as we've talked about in the past, Tidewater Gardens is the first phase um, of the St. Paul's effort and so that's really where we want to focus this grant. Um, And then uh, we've always talked about really wanting to ensure the long-term sustainability of affordable housing or, or rental-assisted housing in, in, in St. Paul's, and so the CNI really gives us the opportunity to have the funding to provide that affordable housing um, in this area.
0: <clears throat> so if you... Um,
2: the, uh, the goal is to start demolition in Tidewater in, uh, is it 20? 2020?
11: that's when we feel like the first unit will come down yes yeah. sir
2: but what I haven't seen is any ambitious efforts on the part of the city or the housing authority to identify places for these residents to go uh,
11: so sir very good point. So this um, CNI project will in fact make us do that right so I know there's been a lot of concern around beginning this process without um, a concrete plan in place, and so the CNI walks us through a process where we identify um, replacement housing, where it goes, what it looks like, um, what the unit mix is, and so all of that will be part of this application process. And we, we this will start our master planning for the area.
2: Mm-hmm. But it seems to me, well, you know, there's no guarantee on that grant. Is, or is it always a guarantee? You can there, get the
11: grant. Well, I believe we'll get it, yeah. um, but no, sir, there is no guarantee. Okay. So the
2: housing authority and the city needs to start doing something now, in my mind, to try to attract developers and let them know, you know, what's going on here. And you, you know, I don't have to tell you—you you know better than most of us—the amount of land that redevelop the redevelopment housing authority and the uh, city of not control is vacant, available, you know. So I think the uh, city needs to, and the housing authority needs to be more aggressive, as, and and start doing something now because you know, 2020 is 18 months away. And uh, and that's mainly why I voted against because you're not when I say you're not you I'm talking about the city. I was thought they're not preparing. You know we have these we we're having our third meeting coming up with the, uh, the with the group. Nothing HAS HAPPENED. I mean absolutely nothing is happening. You know all of this sounds good, but nobody is putting the, uh, the pedal to the metal to make something happen. Uh, as far as identifying developers to come in and help us with this. And uh, and I get let me answer this question too. Recently the city of Virginia Beach just associated themselves with their low-income housing group, right? What and what impact is that going to have on us as far as vouchers are concerned, if any.
11: So um, and Jonathan here so he'll help me if I get it wrong. However <laughs> The, uh, whether we do uh, the Choice Neighborhoods Initiative grant or we move forward with a demolition disposition application to HUD, which we will do on concurrent paths so that we continue to move this forward, as you say, um, both programs uh, guarantee us tenant protection vouchers for every uh, f- household that is in, currently in St. Paul's, that is f- is f- every unit that is filled. So those, those are guaranteed as part of the program.
12: The other part of this, Mr. Riddick, is the this, uh the CNI also uh, really is a jumpstart for us. It, whether we get this or not, it really begins that planning process and pushes us forward. Otherwise, we'd be on a standstill. This really helps us. And so, again, we will, no, we will be much farther along uh, with this process with the CNI application because we've had folks that have been reading and really looking at all those things. And you have to do all of this dynamics and look at where you're going to and how you're going to do the mix. THAT HAS TO BE PART OF THE
3: CNI, AND IT REALLY IS A STRUCTURED PROGRAM TO MAKE YOU DO THAT. Mm -hmm. I HAVE A QUESTION. Why, um, WHY CAN'T WE IDENTIFY OR HAVE SOME IDEA OF THE POSSIBILITIES WHERE OUR RESIDENTS WILL GO? WHY DO WE HAVE TO WAIT FOR THE $30 MILLION GRANT TO HELP US WITH THIS? THIS IS OUR CITY. WE KNOW OUR CITY BEST, THE $30 MILLION IS JUST TO ASSIST US. Um, SO WHEN YOU SAY THE $30 MILLION IS THERE TO ASSIST US, ex- ASSIST AS FAR AS HIRING PEOPLE TO HELP US IDENTIFY POSSIBLE. SO IF if THE $30 MILLION ISN'T GOING TO DO THAT, THEN WHY CAN'T WE INITIATE POSSIBLE PLACES um, where our citizens can can go that's the number one question mm-hmm. okay yes, ma'am. the second question that I have when well, you're talking about East Princess Anne Road and tide water Drive exactly um, where more detail we're, we're talking about
11: I'm sorry what Tell East me. Princess
3: Anne Road uh-huh. and tide water Drive Exactly pinpointing what part of East Princess Anne Road, Tidewater Drive, and um, East Brambleton.
11: So, I mean, you can see the outline here is the, is the project area. But what I should say is that it, nothing up in Huntersville is it, or or over to Princess Anne Drive, outside of Virginia Beach Boulevard, uh, uh, Tidewater, St. Paul's. Uh, down to the to the uh, Elizabeth River is is for anything um, is not for redevelopment, right? So we're not talking about anything for redevelopment up there. No building, um, you know, that's really about strengthening the neighborhood, increasing home ownership. It's part of that whole neighborhood, but it's not for redevelopment. Is that, uh, that answer your question? We can
3: talk later. Okay. Other okay. Can I? Oh. One Please. more yes. question, Dr. Perry. The second question that we, we get is about people first. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we're talking about, we, we say that it's people first, I understand that. Um, the second question is our plan for preparing our citizens um, through the transition, which means what is the plan? to help them make the transition in terms of education, those things that you underline, such as education, economic Mm -hmm. um, development, and and those things, do we have an outline for our citizens, how that is gonna take place? Okay.
11: Um, So for the people first, that's what the request for information is, is assisting us, is in coming up with that outline that will then be rolled into a Request for Proposals for uh, uh, assistance in implementing, designing and implementing that program. So you will see that happen. Uh, The Request for Information will come back at the end of this month, and then the Request for Proposals will go out in July. To answer your first question about uh, locations for folks, uh, for residents to, uh, to move to, um, that is all part of the CNI project, but whether we get the CNI, CNI for us is really a financing mechanism. So whether we receive the grant or not, uh, we will move forward with the master planning of the area, which includes absolutely what you guys are saying. So we are looking at all of the vacant property. Um, we will, uh, or maybe I can just move forward here uh, to this next qu- uh, Kim's gonna kill me. Um, <laughs> to this next slide is to show you that as part of the CNI application, we need to come up with, again, those locations of of replacement housing, what the mix looks like. We need to have uh, site control of it. We need to look at infrastructure and vertical building. So all of that will be part of this planning process that we will use whether we receive the grant or not. So that includes sitting down with planning and public works and and the housing authority and our developers to determine what are those places that we can build first and build early and how can we begin doing that, whether we receive the CNI grant or not. Um, And so uh, on this slide, again, um, to do that, uh, we really need to bring on an architectural firm. And so what I placed before you was a pamphlet from Torty Gallus, which NRHA has hired to do this master planning for us. Um, They will come in and they will really help um, us. They will engage the community, they will engage city staff, um, they'll engage the St. Paul's Advisory Committee, and hopefully all of you in this process. Um, It will begin with a community meeting in Tidewater Gardens next week on the 20th. Um, We are also asking for a subcommittee of the St. Paul's Advisory Group. Uh, Because that group meets once a month and this is moving quickly, we'd like to have the engagement of that group more often. So if we could pull out a subcommittee that could be engaged with us on the CNI planning process uh, uh, more in depth. We think that would be really helpful, um, but that's that planning process, will, will, which will include <coughs> community meetings and charrettes about what the housing looks like, what those first, you know, build first sites are, uh, where educational opportunities might go. Is all going to begin with this process, um, and so again, as I said, that's a, that meeting is on uh, June 20th um, at St. Mary's Basilica at six o'clock.
2: Now that. Uh <coughs> Norfolk has a formula with Hope Six while those funds don't exist anymore. And I look at this site over at uh Molden Circle, which is about 30 acres. And so it seems to me that we should be, you know, doing something. If you've already identified a de- mass developer, don't worry about what's going to be happening back downtown. Why don't we move forward to show uh how sincere we are by taking that 30 acres? Now you just mentioned the I w- I would say assets. Over there, you have a new library. You have two or three new. You have two or three new schools. Uh, so, I mean, what what's preventing us from moving forward and being more aggressive?
11: Yes, sir. We got 30 acres of land.
2: You've identified a, a, a developer who has A beautiful schools. <laughs> you know, WHAT'S, what's holding us us hold up.
11: So, so that is actually a, a planning and architecture firm, not a developer. Okay. Um. So, so they are on board to help us with the master planning process. Um, But this next slide uh, does uh, speak to your point, Mr. Riddick, that uh, as part of the CNI application, a housing lead or developer is necessary. And so we have put out an RFP at the end of May for a housing lead just for the CNI process. Um, This also will be a two-phase process. Again, that's just a good procurement um, standard for us. The initial responses are due back tomorrow and then the most responsive applicants will be asked to provide a more extensive proposal that they would provide then at an interview phase. Um, We still plan to do a master development um, RFP, request for for proposals, for the entire St. Paul's area in the fall. But uh, in order to compete for this uh, CNI, uh, we did need to go out for a housing lead. We are also getting some really good feedback um, on that. We've had... uh, a lot of developers call and say that they understand this to be a good opportunity and so we think we'll get some good proposals. Um, in order to review those proposals, we really need a good uh, skill set and, and a variety of departments at the table. So I have put here uh, for that phase one who's on that selection committee and then uh, they will make a recommendation of who they believe should go on to that next phase of providing those more extensive proposals. Um, in an interview phase to a, a more senior executive team here, which you can see includes the mayor, uh, Councilwoman Graves, city manager, deputy city manager James Rogers, uh, NRHA CEO John Konak, and then we wanted a member of the St. Paul's advisory committee uh, included. So, that, uh, so we've asked Earl Fraley, who's been involved in the, in the planning of the St. Paul's area uh, since the beginning. Uh. YES,
3: PLEASE. FOR THE RECORD, um, MOTON CIRCLE, THOSE 30 ACRES IN MOTON CIRCLE, THERE ARE PLANS FOR DEVELOPMENT THERE. AND IN uh, THE BROAD CREEK AREA, AS WELL AS WARD 3, WE HAVE um, ENOUGH um, LOW-INCOME HOUSING IN OUR COMMUNITY. SO THAT IS WHY IT IS VERY IMPORTANT THAT WE TAKE A LOOK AT THE ENTIRE CITY um, as far as providing opportunities for our citizens,
12: and really that's you know just to just kind of just phrase it a bit. We really are doing that, and we're doing this as we as we move along. And we certainly understand uh, that, uh, and that's why when we need. When we sit around, we, we're actually doing this strategically. We know the things as you did the tour last uh, week with okay. your colleagues. Uh, we understand what uh, is uh, slated for those slots uh, for Thank those particular uh, lands. WE'VE ACTUALLY SHOWN SOME, uh, uh, some DEVELOPERS uh, SOME PLACES THAT WE THINK WOULD BE, uh, WHICH, AGAIN, YOU CANNOT THROW EVERYTHING OUT THERE ON THE TABLE AND share, SHOW YOUR HAND TO IT QUICKLY, BECAUSE, AGAIN, FOLKS uh, WILL, uh, will uh, uh, JACK THE PRICES UP ON THINGS YOU WANT TO DO, SO, AGAIN, WHAT WE'RE DOING IS WE'RE, we're SETTING AROUND in, uh, IN A controlled ENVIRONMENT WITH THE FOLKS THAT WE NEED TO WORK WITH, STRATEGICALLY MAKING SURE, uh, PARTICULARLY WE KNOW THE SITES THAT YOU uh, WANT MARKET RATE HOUSING ON. So again, we know those, both uh, the circle. We know uh, where the uh, uh, Richard Bowling School is now. We know that's a, a site for uh, for really market rates So again, we have all OF this. We need a housing need to help us put all this together, and that's
3: what we're doing. Absolutely. Right Thank you, Mr. Rogers. Thank you, Dr. Myers. Sure. Sure.
11: Um, and so th- this right, slide see. is just to show you that, um, despite whether or not we we receive the CNI grant. Uh, we are moving this project forward thanks to, to your leadership and, and the money that you guys put into the budget. Um, we have the ability uh, to move forward with the first phase regardless of the, of the CNI. NRHA has also uh, committed local funding to this project through a combination of tenant per, uh, based and project based vouchers that would be uh, used for the uh, rental assisted units as well as funding that they'll receive called demolition and disposition transition funding. Um, That will be just be put back into the project to service gap funding or for infrastructure needs or however will we will need that Um, This project and the CNI grant really provides a lot of opportunities for the community to lead with us and so um, we've had resident participation on Uh, several of our work groups. Again, as I mentioned, the People First work group, but there will also need to be work groups set up around the Choice Neighborhoods Initiative grant, around those three focus areas that I talked about, uh, people, housing, and neighborhoods. Um, And we'll uh, ensure that we have residents on all of those. Uh, Residents are serving with us on the St. Paul's Advisory Committee. And again, uh, this is just the beginning of many planning meetings and community charrettes that will happen throughout the summer. Uh, additionally, the St. Paul's Advisory Committee is serving with us as well um, on many of these things. And so you saw that we have uh, uh, members on the RFP Selection Committee um, uh, also assisting us in, with reviewing that uh, request for information on People First. Uh, we really hope that they will help us host the community meetings and be that leadership of this initiative. Um, and again, they'll serve on that CNI uh, work groups with us. And then this timeline, while very small, is really just intended to to show you, um, uh, again, a lot of things are going to be happening over the next uh, four months. But um, really, in addition to finalizing a housing lead or, the, or or the developer, as well as issuing that RFP for People First, you can see it's it's a lot of community meetings, a lot of community charrettes, and those CNI team uh, working team sessions. So that's. It's going to really take up the bulk um, of the summer with the submission of the CNI application on September 17th, uh, but almost simultaneously to that will be NRHA's submittal of that phase demolition disposition and application to HUD so that no matter the outcome of the CNI, um, we'll continue to move that forward, and that will give us the tenant protection vouchers that, um, that you all spoke of that, that residents desire so much. I KNOW I'VE GIVEN YOU A LOT OF INFORMATION, BUT I'M HAPPY TO ANSWER ANY MORE QUESTIONS YOU MIGHT HAVE. um,
9: I JUST WANT TO MAKE SURE, MOVING FORWARD WITH THIS, uh, THAT THERE IS COMPLETE COMMUNICATION WITH THE SCHOOL SYSTEM ON THE IMPACT OF THE BOOKER T, Ruffner AND Tidewater PARK SCHOOLS. AND I KNOW COURTNEY'S HERE. Um, THE SCHOOL BOARD JUST RECEIVED A PROPOSAL FOR SOME CONSOLIDATION AND um, THERE'S AN IMPACT HERE, THERE WAS A MENTION OF CREATING A K-8 SCHOOL AT Ruffner, AND ALL THAT'S GREAT, BUT 40 KIDS MOVE OUT AND IT IMPACTS THE FUNDING OF A SCHOOL, IT IMPACTS THE FUNDING OF A SCHOOL DISTRICT, um, IF THE STUDENT IS RECEIVING TITLE, uh, ELIGIBLE FOR TITLE I FUNDING, THE SCHOOL DISTRICT LOSES THOSE NUMBERS, IF THEY'RE MOVING OUT OF NORFOLK OR, or, or whatever's GOING TO HAPPEN, I THINK IT'S VERY IMPORTANT THAT WE ARE HELPING WITH NUMBERS, um, with the school system as we guide them through this process, and also I, I, I've heard this mentioned by a couple school board members that we also aren't looking at creating um, issues at another school with poverty. Um, if you're moving students into a particular area, even temporarily, and they have to go to a school at that in that area that that's not a school that's already, I guess for lack of better terms, a tipping point school, and so I, I think it's a. I know we have a school MEMBER, uh, There's a school. STAFF MEMBER THAT'S APPOINTED TO THIS COMMITTEE, BUT I I THINK THAT WE NEED TO MAKE SURE THAT WE'RE STAYING IN COMMUNICATION uh, WITH THEM ON THIS um, AND LOOK AT THOSE NEEDS AND UNDERSTANDING THAT THERE COULD BE AN IMPACT ON uh, ENROLLMENT OVERALL IN THE CITY, um, THE SCHOOL SYSTEM OVERALL. AND SO I DON'T WANT TO HEAR ANYBODY ON COUNCIL SAY, WELL, NORFOLK HAS LESS KIDS, SO WE DON'T SHOULDN'T GIVE THEM AS MUCH FUNDING. (laughs) Um, I KNOW WE DID THE FUNDING FORMULA, BUT I, I THINK IT'S IMPORTANT THAT WE ARE MONITORING THAT IMPACT AS WELL.
11: Yes, sir. They're a critical partner in this. Part of
9: that C&I process is it really forces you
12: to have an education component. You have to have all of these components, and we have them at the table to make sure we're doing that. And again, Dr. Boone uh, uh, is on that advisory committee, but she sent someone, but she's on another committee. But uh, moving in that C&I, there is a specific uh, element of education that you have to have as part of the the, the middle
4: that you submit on the uh, CNI, so we are very well aware. Okay, okay. You, wait, wait, uh, wait, Suzanne. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Oh. Yes,
8: hey, so, you know, I've been very supportive on this. I really think if there's one thing significantly that Norfolk can do in the next ten years is change their housing policies. Um, I, you know, Mr. Ray, brought this up, and I know you all know this, but this is a domino effect. If Something happens in Virginia Beach, it can impact us. Mm-hmm. So I really implore you all, because I you know I'm not gonna be here for this, but if you guys have a spare afternoon, read the book The Evictors yes. and recognize, because we've all seen it in the newspaper, Virginia is one of the leaders in evictions and the country. And the impact this plays on poverty, on education, on health. IS PARAMOUNT. AND THIS BOOK BRINGS UP THOSE ISSUES AND IT TALKS ABOUT THINGS THAT NEED TO BE DONE NOT JUST LOCALLY BUT AT THE STATE LEVEL. SO I'M HOPING THAT WE'RE NOT TOO INSULAR ON THIS, THAT WE'RE JUST WORKING WITH ST. PAUL'S AS AN EXAMPLE AND FORGETTING ABOUT THE FACT THAT WE'VE GOT TO MAKE SOME LEGISLATIVE CHANGES. Um, YOU KNOW, HOUSING IS GOING TO BE CITYWIDE AND YOU'VE REALLY GOT TO MAKE SOME IMPACTS. because. IT'S ABOUT THE LANDLORDS. IT'S ABOUT THE RULES THAT VIRGINIA HAVE. AND IF WE JUST FALL BACK ON THE VOUCHER PROBLEM AND DON'T RECOGNIZE THE ROLE THAT THIS ALL PLAYS, um, I I JUST CAN'T EMPHASIZE TO YOU ENOUGH HOW IMPORTANT THAT IS IN PLANNING FOR THE NEXT YEARS FOR HOUSING POLICY. THE EVICTORS. I I KNOW IT SOUNDS LIKE A DREADFUL BOOK. IT ACTUALLY IS VERY GOOD. good. WON THE PULITZER. AND
12: AS YOU MAY BE AWARE, I THINK THE uh, CITY ATTORNEY, uh, sent something out recently. Sydney uh, Hall is on the housing uh, right. Housing. There's
8: commission. some moves statewide, so too.
12: There's
2: so some
4: again, new so again, uh, body sure fiction. That's yeah. a great point, so we will certainly make sure we do that. Okay, thank you, Susan. Mr. Riddick,
2: I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, okay, uh, getting back to uh, Ms. Johnson. Now, that Moulton Circle site, nobody's knocking the door down to do anything. Broad Creek, unless you look at the number of uh, front doors, was a great uh, example of how uh, you can mix uh, affordable housing with market-rate housing, and I don't think we need to sit back and wait for somebody to come in and say, "Well, we got plans for uh, uh, for uh, motor circle. That's just like you saying that, WHERE we got all of the low-income people we need." That's not being sensitive. I think if somebody comes along and can give us a good product. Help us do what we need to do in terms of finding affordable, safe, decent housing for some of the residents of Tidewater, which is going to be affected first. We can't just sit back and and uh, and, and hold land in hopes that it's something that we might do. Now I understand where THE CSEP is over where uh, uh, you know that part of Broad Creek. That's understandable. But this site over here, I don't think we need to sit back and wait. TO SEE WHO MIGHT WANT TO COME AND DO SOMETHING.
3: I'M NOT SITTING BACK AND WAITING yeah. TO SEE WHO WANTS TO DO SOMETHING FOR mm-hmm. OPEN CIRCLE. I'M SAYING THAT IF WE'RE GOING TO DO THIS, WE NEED TO LOOK AT THE CITY AS A WHOLE. AND we need And, and to EVERYBODY BELIEVES THAT, BUT THIS IS
2: LAND THAT'S SITTING RIGHT THERE, SOME OF THE LAND THAT WE ALREADY control, THE CITY OF NORFOLK ALREADY, I MENTIONED EARLIER, WE HAVE SEVERAL SITES, AND THIS IS, um, WOULD BE A, a GOOD EXAMPLE of, OF DOING WHAT WE DID WITH Broad uh, CREEK know, but well, not that—not Broad Creek, that part of it, but the portion over, uh, I would say, adjacent to the school and library, not on the uh, north side of uh, Prince ROAD. Okay. Right. Mr.
0: Mayor, that's the agenda. Okay. I think Good you'd part. ask us to have have it done by six forty-five, and we're there. So there's time to move upstairs. Um, there's nothing else from the from the administration, sir. If there's anything more that you have, we're willing to entertain, sir. Whoa!
3: Thank you so much.
0: I'm waiting for the gap. Six. That's all right, sir. Here we go. Thank you, sir.